I'd like to ask you for something. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, can you fantasize with me? Eyes closed or open, it doesn't matter. Body still or moving really makes no difference. Just picture your dream world. Okay, yes, this sounds a little hippy-dippy. You might not be in a space where you can go there with me. I really don't give a fuck. There's a point to this, so just bear with me. Now really try to think back on the world you thought you lived in when you were a six-year-old without a clue as to how it really is. Take yourself to that headspace where being alive and surrounded by people and nature and animals was so exciting to you. Now think back on the kind of world you were itching to graduate into as a repressed little teenager. You're free, you're independent, self-sufficient, thriving in environments that make you feel complete. What kinds of people surround you? How are you spending your time? How do you make a living? How are you finding fulfillment? Is your happiness perpetual and constant? Does it ebb and flow like the seasons? Do you have access to the things that bring you joy? And most importantly, in this dream world, how do you feel about yourself? In my times of distress, I tend to go inward and submerge myself in this fantasy world. I wonder sometimes how healthy it is to indulge in these escapist tendencies. Like, why can't I find contentment in my immediate surroundings? Why am I not resilient enough to stay present even amid the hardship? What will it take to get on top of this gnawing feeling that makes me resort to escapism via fantasizing, via partying, via TV marathons? This feeling of being inadequate. Well, first I gotta figure out why I feel this way so frequently to begin with. Thanks for joining me. My name is Romina, and this is Going Mental. There is a problem with the way that we self-motivate. As an American millennial living in the most densely populated urban center in the country, I think the trajectories we create for ourselves center on just acquisition and achievement. Own all the best things, make all the big moves, fraternize with all the big names. The objective is to make a blam in your face impact So we measure our success on an ever-growing scale of extremes. However well you're doing, you need to do more. We see this play out on Instagram, insatiably competing with ourselves and our peers in trying to sequester more praise, more attention. 
We see this with modern artists as their management teams glorify this elusive formula to push boundaries, provoke public reaction, maximize impact quickly, aggressively, profitably. We see this in school settings. Forever chasing that 100, and then going after the extra credit, and then taking the AP class for the GPA boost, and then striving to be in an Ivy League school, and then having to take leadership positions at the Ivy League school to prove that you're worthy of being hired. I mean, there's something to be said about stoking a healthy flame under your ass to keep you lit and motivated in life. But isn't it scary how easily we can fall into this vortex of, I'm not doing enough? When everyone else is doing so much, so often, how can we feel good about opting for rest, for inactivity, for peaceful existence? How can we possibly strike a healthy balance? Between seventh and eighth grade, I attended a prestigious exam school. For those of you who don't know, Boston Latin School prided itself on its treacherous curriculum, impossible workload, a promotion of hyper-competitiveness, and shameless elitism. It made us believe that because we passed this mundane test that supposedly captured our intelligence, we were special, presiding over all the other kids in our city like superior beings. But it didn't stop there. One of our most celebrated headmasters trademarked this legendary saying, look to your left, now look to your right. Only one of you will be standing here on the day of graduation. Translation, you can indulge in your unfounded superiority complex over everyone outside of your school, but you also definitely should strive to squash your own peers too, because who needs friends to survive this toxic hellhole, am I right? In actuality, the people in the school were just like any other kids in any other school except for the blaring issue of the proportion of Latinx and black students being minuscule in comparison to the actual demographics of the city of Boston. That is a massive indicator that the system for admitting students into the school was based on faulty assessments because with Boston being as segregated as it is, students who went to well-funded and well-staffed schools were better primed to play the system and ace the entrance exam, a concept which is very familiar to those of us who have gone through the college application process. So we can see that the system was never really made to benefit every student equally. And still, at BLS, we had a pretty typical spread of overachievers, emo kids, nerds, jocks, art weirdos, all trying to figure out how to navigate the already terrifying concept of high school. Some of us fell victim to imposter syndrome and crumbled under the pressure of the school's lofty expectations. Others of us full-heartedly believed the elitist propaganda and took on a really fucking cutthroat attitude, hated those bitches. Most of us fell somewhere in between, undulating between feeling fueled by the school's grandiosity and at other times resenting it. The reality is that this school was a huge opportunity for us to pursue our education with the level of 
support and resources that are normally only afforded to wealthy private school kids. I can't deny that. I won't deny that. But in the 11th grade, I enrolled in AP writing. And the teacher I was assigned to, Miss Diamond, turned everything I thought I knew on its head. She was gentle, thoughtful, observant, and so open-minded. She gave us creative prompts that helped us harness the beautiful practice of introspection and introduced us, for the first time, to the concept of mindfulness. In an institution that felt like a vacuum of stress, anxiety, and pressure, AP writing was an oasis that offered an alternative approach to life. One where 90 percentile grades and leadership roles in extracurriculars and Ivy League universities were not the objective, peace of mind was. Boston Latin was my first run-in with blatant elitism. And the more distance I've gotten from it, the more fundamentally repulsed I feel by this kind of dogma. It has been, and continues to be, a really hard pill for me to swallow that there are people, institutions, and whole cultures that abide by elitist principles, and that that's somehow okay. I keep hearing that there is still room for for people and institutions and full-blown societies to happily and successfully operate under different doctrines, but bitch, where? Point me at it. Maybe this is where culture comes in. Now, if we think about the most successful nations in the world, by popular opinion, it would be the U.S., some other Western nations, and China. Mostly white, mostly with roots in imperialism or colonialization, and entirely capitalist. The biggest factor by which these countries' success is measured is, of course, their financial success and whatever influence they impose on the rest of the world by leveraging this wealth. This is so deeply entrenched in our culture that I bet most of you are probably listening to this like, okay, and... Well, I'll tell you, and are the other countries of the world expected to embark on this centuries-long journey of reconstructing their culture to be just like America to get some respect from the rest of the world? Is that the objective? I mean, what other aspects of a nation are there that could determine how great it is? How about historical significance? Linguistic sophistication? Standards of ethics, spirituality, a commitment to social equity. We see the U.S. and other powerful nations consistently falling short on annual worldwide quality of life rankings. So there has to be more to success than capitalist elitism, right? Well, I can only draw from personal experience. I grew up in Greece a country universally adored for its rich Mediterranean culture and natural beauty. It's also been one of the most often mocked countries in the past due to its public financial nosedive after it joined the EU. Everyone wants to bask in its splendor during vacation time, right? But nobody wants to stick around or invest in its long-term success. Well, there's your clash of cultures. You see, throughout Europe, 
The U.S. is often mocked for being a nation that has its head in its ass and a lot of workaholic citizens. Americans are certainly not known for their joie de vivre or knowledge of international happenings. Now, Greece, as I know it, prioritizes savoring life via decadent, hours-long meals, passionate intellectual debates among friends, music and dancing, late evening ice cream outings, mid-afternoon siestas, and loud, boisterous family gatherings. Doesn't that sound so nice? Well, it's not nice enough to make Greece a noteworthy nation from a GDP perspective, and to many, many people, that's the most important thing. So if we're growing up, seeing whole nations of millions of individual human beings getting humiliated for not performing well financially, what does that do for us as individuals? I can say that personally, it made me entertain these desperate fantasies about becoming filthy rich and buying everything I ever wanted and receiving that mega stamp of approval from the world in the form of empty accolades and undeserved privileges. So when my reality didn't meet the lofty expectations of these fantasies, I felt like I was failing. It took working as a receptionist and earning $16 an hour for just shy of a year to help me come to terms with the reality that elaborate wealth, both monetarily and socially, is very much not what I'm interested in. Certainly hasn't helped the depressive spirals that get triggered every so often when I realize I can't travel or eat out like I used to while I was fresh out of college and making 75k a year, but it has made room for cheaper but much richer sources of happiness to reveal themselves to me. This podcast is an almost direct byproduct of being poor yet super creatively stimulated. Because of this lifestyle... I've also become more attuned to the instances of micro-elitism that come up around me on a day-to-day basis. At this point, I can literally witness in slow motion the deed and then the ensuing thought spiral and then the stirred up feelings of anxiety and insecurity in me and the people around me. And sis, I'm telling you, we drop micro-elitist bombs on each other on average every other minute in an ongoing conversation. The biggest culprit I found is humble bragging. Of course, outright bragging is pretty close behind, but then the real interesting source of micro-elitism comes in the form of self-deprecation. I've had friends come to me on the verge of tears being like, I just feel like I'm failing and everyone is doing so much better than me. I mean, how often do you find yourself hard-eyeing somebody else because of their job title, their outfit, their big dick energy, their relationship, their Instagram feed, and then immediately after you start to hate yourself? I mean, too often I hear people admitting out loud that they think someone is better than them because of some perceived quality of superiority that they're dwelling on. I think we can all agree that it's an unhealthy thought and that it's damaging to whoever is thinking it, but what about the people who are also there and listening in on this kind of talk? 
Are there ever times where you find yourself feeling raw and ultra sensitive? Like an even slightly hurtful thing can just really gut you? Have you ever stood next to a friend on a day like this and heard them raving about how impossibly successful somebody you both barely know is? Did that shit sting or what? Of course, that's not grounds to start a fight with your friend. I mean, no one is responsible for your feelings and the trajectory of your thoughts except for you. But the point is, since I started listening for the elitist language around me, I realized how impossible of a task it is to feel consistently steady, secure, and confident with yourself in this society. There's clearly a direct correlation between elitism in our society and chronic feelings of inadequacy, especially among 20-something-year-olds in bustling metropoles who feel that their mission is to make something of themselves. I think some would argue that elitism, a hierarchy, and status are objectively the pillars that hold up a structured and efficiently running civilization. That without them, no one would know where they stand, we would all lose sight of a common goal to live for, and we would all exist in chaos. Just like a pride of lions relies on a hierarchy to stay organized and essentially survive, so too does humanity. I think status exists because there are levels of expertise that we spend our lives striving to reach by practicing to improve our competency. Sure, we can't put leaders in a position of power and influence without somehow being able to ascertain that they're fit for the job. I would also say that having elite categories is useful in competitions, in helping us measure our proficiency and in teaching establishments. But we have to be honest with ourselves about the fact that the world we're living in has really blown the shit out of proportion. If we're living under the rules of such a flawed and unjust system where people who exist outside the bounds of white, male, or rich are forced to shoulder tragically disproportionate hardship to their counterparts... How can we say elitism is necessary or even okay if we're all sprinting towards success like little hamsters on a wheel without having much to say about the actual substance of our ambition? What the fuck are we doing it for? What are you spending a third of your life doing CrossFit for? What are you getting less than six hours of sleep for? What are you putting yourself into a lifetime of debt for? What are you gradually dimming your inner light, your life force, your will to live for, if it's not your health, your fulfillment, the general betterment of the world? I found myself in a few elite reserved spaces in my life. And what I can say with certainty is that too many of the people I met there were not deserving of all the glory and privilege that they were being showered with because it was clear that outside of the fancy label and fancy perks, they had no idea what the fuck they were there for. So it doesn't make sense to me to strive so hungrily for a spot in these elite-only spaces for that mega stamp of approval if the people I'm sharing that space with aren't also committed to making room, to being genuine, to giving back, 
I'm choosing to set my sights elsewhere, to measure my proficiency by a different set of criteria, to operate under a different dogma. There are too many brilliant, fascinating, capable people in the world who are not and might not ever be recognized as elite by the current standard. No Ivy League education, no diplomat parents, no trust fund reservoir, no fame or celebrity, no exceptional talent, no ambition or lofty dreams. And guess what? They're just as deserving of the fruits of this world as every nation's leader. So as long as success is defined by these fucking meaningless metrics, I'm not interested in the hungry, frantic, desperate climb toward it all. For those of you who are languishing in this pit of insecurity, inadequacy, failure, my heart goes out to you. I'm sure you know objectively that whoever you're comparing yourself to is not as successful as you're gassing them up to be. And whatever criteria you're measuring yourself up against, I imagine at least a few of those aren't even the right markers for where you're trying to be. It's important to track your progress, to have the ambition to improve yourself, the dedication to apply yourself. Yes, sometimes though you get stuck in periods of inactivity and that's okay. Sometimes you're too busy processing your internal world to put your 100 to the external world. And if that's the case, I applaud you sis for striving for a well-balanced life. Sometimes you know where you need to be and you just got to put your head down and power through it. You know your limits. At the end of the day, concepts like productivity and ambition are flimsy at best, subjective at worst. And if the end goal is something as impersonal as a dollar amount or a follower count, maybe it's time to reconsider. Maybe the intensity with which we pursue our highly ambitious goals is really only there to distract us from something a little harder, a little more complicated, a little slower to deal with than we'd like. Our pain, our unprocessed mental health issues, our confusion about our identity and what the fuck it is we're doing in this world, it takes so much time and internal work to sift through And the world around us moves so fast and so furiously that it's easier to just subscribe to the capitalist rush and get swept up in it. Let our lives be standardized. In my business classes, they told us, words are fluff. Everything has to be substantiated with numbers. In my first real job at an investment bank, I spent 40 hours a week sifting through percentages and dollar values in never-ending Excel spreadsheets. I never really got to know most of the people I took those business classes with, nor the people I worked with, because we were all too busy trying to find ourselves in the numbers. Blind ambition just to land in the 90th percentile. That's not my fantasy anymore. In my ideal world, we are modest and open-minded, aware that we don't know anything and we never will. And because of this, so much more eager to let others teach us their truth. In my ideal world, status is merely a descriptor for your current state. 
and not a marker of your place in the hierarchy. In fact, hierarchy who? Hierarchy what? That's not a word in the dictionary. In my ideal world, we take accountability for our feelings and make a concerted effort not to project them onto others. In my ideal world, we are curious about each other. In my world, we recognize that our needs are going to overlap and sometimes collide against each other and we're willing to negotiate. In my ideal world, we speak kindly and deliberately. We're honest with ourselves about our wrongdoings and take responsibility for making amends. In my ideal world, we choose integrity and authenticity. We take the time to consider our options so we can decide on the route that serves our highest good. In my ideal world, we understand that our actions have a ripple effect that reverberates throughout the entire world, and we try our best to do the least harm. In my ideal world, we befriend our egos. We look after them like a big sibling, and we ask for help when there's a rift in our relationship with them. In my ideal world, we ask for help. In my ideal world, we lend a hand. In my ideal world, we let our hearts be soft, even after they've gotten banged up and scarred. In my ideal world, we can accept that we're all just flawed beings trying to help each other get by and make our home thrive long after we've left it, even if nothing awaits us after we've gone. In my ideal world, we're at peace with our inevitable suffering and mortality, and we give it our best anyway, because in my ideal world, there is no special spot high enough to make us exempt from any of the shit that comes with being human. Whether you like it or not, my ideal world is very much our real world, but shit gets in the way so often. We feel like shit so often. It's so easy to forget the bigger picture. But this is why it's so nice to fantasize. Because eventually you end up dreaming your reality into creation. And, well, there's nothing inadequate about that.